The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. In which you formerly walked according to the age of this world, according to the ruler of the authority of the air, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all were once formally dominated by the lust of our flesh, doing the will of the flesh and the mind. And we used to be by nature children of wrath, even as the others. But God, being rich in mercy by means of his great love, with which he loved us. Even being dead in the sins, he made us alive with Christ. You have been saved by grace, even raised up together and seated together in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus, in order that he might show himself in open exhibition in the coming ages with reference to the surpassing wealth of his grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by the grace you have been saved by means of faith. And this is not of you. It is the gift of God and not out of works so that no one may glory in himself. For we are his workmanship having been changed completely in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in order that we might walk in them. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I just read for you the first verses of Ephesians, the second chapter. It's clear in that passage of Scripture that that we are saved by grace. But after saying that, what do we mean? I want to point out just a couple of things in this second chapter, and then I want to take you to the book of James. The book of James is going to have a slightly different perspective. All of us were at one time dead in our sin. We walked with the ruler of the authority of the air, that is the devil. The spirit now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we were once formally dominated by the lust of our flesh, doing the will of the flesh and of the mind. We used to be by nature children of wrath, even as the others. Now, I I want to just point out, Paul is writing to Christians. And he's saying that once you were a son or a daughter of darkness, you were dominated by the lust of your flesh, you were doing the will of the flesh, You were doing the will of the mind. In other words, you did what you wanted to do. You went where you wanted to go. You spent your money the way you wanted to spend it. He's saying this in the past tense. Not the present tense. Because a Christian is no longer dominated by the lust of his flesh. Now you may say to me, but pastor, I've tried my best and I just can't overcome this. Well, no, you can't overcome it. I'll show you that in just a moment. There must be a supernatural work of God 
for you to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Many of you think you're following Jesus Christ, but you are still dominated by the lust of your flesh. You are still doing the will of your own spirit. You are still dominated by your mind and what you think your life needs to be all about. You are by nature still a child of wrath, even though you call yourself a Christian and say you love Jesus, but your life does not demonstrate that. You still walk in the luxury of American wickedness. Now, when I was a little boy, I was, from very early in my life, I was sold out to follow Jesus. I remember coming home from church when I was perhaps four years of age. And I was sitting in the back seat of the car with my two brothers who were laughing and joking. And I was crying. And when we got home, my mother and my father called me into their bedroom. And they said to me, Raymond, why are you crying? Now, remember, I'm four or five years of age. And I responded to them by saying, I'm a sinner. And I want my sins forgiven. And they said to me, Raymond, what have you done? And I said, I get angry and I fight with my brother. I lie. I don't do what's right. And I was under very deep conviction. I couldn't talk about it then, but there was something deep in my heart that I knew was not right with God. Now, some of you can identify with what I'm saying because from a very early age, the Holy Spirit began to convict you of your sin and call you to follow him. But many of you cannot identify with this because you've become interested at various times as a young person or as an adult in following Jesus, but it has never been a primary passion of your heart. Now, there are advantages on both sides. It is an advantage I have in my life that I have always been earnestly desiring Jesus. Now, I will grant that I got lost many times in the journey toward Jesus by my own pride and my own ambition and my desire to be successful and my desire to be respected And I mean I got lost. I lost sight of, of Jesus for periods of time in my life. But always would come that resurgent cry in my spirit for Jesus. And some of you have begun to catch on, if you've listened for any length of time to this broadcast, that I really only talk about Jesus now, today I could spend all the broadcast talking about the politics of the day that have great moral impact. Roe versus Wade, since that decision was passed by an unrighteous court, over 60 million babies have been murdered. The majority of those babies were black children. And it was done by the Democratic Party. The Democrats have always been against the black race. 
Now, some of you have voted Democrat year after year, and they have done nothing for you except murder your children and destroy your families. Now, I recognize I could deal a great, in great depth regarding the racism of the Democratic Party. This Senator Byrd, who was a Ku Klux Klan man, right to the end of his life, I believe he was a total racist. I could deal with other issues. The eugenics agenda of the modern globalization move that's taking place now worldwide Do I like the candidate, Donald Trump? I think he will probably be like a Cyrus if he is elected president. Cyrus was an utterly wicked king, but he did some good things for God's people and God used him. Will God use Hillary Clinton if she is elected? Yes, but I fear he will use her to bring total judgment upon America. Now, am I interested in all of these? I'm interested in everything that deals with the morality of America. But the focus of my heart is to help you get right with Jesus, not to help you vote a certain way in an election. I know that politicians will never rescue America. I know the only possible way America can be turned around is for the pulpits of America to be filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to flame with righteousness. So my heart has always been after Jesus. And when I have been led astray by darkness and have focused on ambition and success, pride, arrogance, financial resources. Always when I've done that, after a period of time, the Holy Spirit has broken through once more, and this deep well in my soul that is hungry for Jesus drew me back to my Lord. The disadvantage of that is that often in my experience with Jesus, I have been very discouraged and my heart is filled with hopelessness because I saw my sin and did not know how to be set free. I never heard the gospel of Jesus as a child. Oh, I heard a gospel but it was not the gospel of Jesus. I heard a gospel that taught that justification was a forensic term, a legal term, and that we were declared righteous, and that when we died, we would be made righteous. That never settled in my spirit. I was always reading the scripture that talks about once formally you were dominated by the lust of your flesh. You were once in the past doing the will of the flesh. You were once in the past walking in the own, your own strength of your mind. But then something happened. God came. You were dead in your sins, but he made you alive in Christ. You've been saved by grace. Now, I was taught that grace was simply the unmerited favor of God and that grace meant that I was covered in my sin and I was okay. That never settled in my spirit because I knew it not to be true. In the deepest part of my heart, I knew it was not to be true. It was a lie. Now, those of you who have been casual in your approach to God, you have an advantage too because your spirit has not been tender, so it has not tortured you. 
until finally you were confronted with the reality of Jesus. And then you had to make a decision. Will Jesus become first and foremost in my life? Or will my wife or husband, my job, my children, my ambition, my lifestyle, will that be foremost in my life? And will I then use Jesus as a rabbit foot that I rub for good luck? I pray that all of you today, as you listen to this broadcast, will be given the gift of a tender heart, hungry for Jesus. Now, please, the hunger I had in my heart for Jesus did not bring me to Jesus. I was not brought to Jesus by my own hunger. I was brought to Jesus by the Holy Spirit, putting hunger in my heart. I was brought to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the blood. Now it says, verse 8, this is Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by the grace you have been saved by means of faith, and this not of you, it is the gift of God, not out of works, so that no one may glory in himself. For we are his workmanship. In other words, we're God's artwork. We're being created by God. This is a supernatural work of grace. Having been changed completely in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, some of you I know today, as you listen to this broadcast, are quite discouraged with your walk with Christ. You've tried hard and you've not been successful. Pride has overcome you. Despair and rejection have filled your heart. You're exhausted. Please hear me. Let this come as a word of comfort to your heart. Salvation is of Jesus. The work of grace is of Jesus. It is a supernatural work. It is not a work you do in yourself. Read carefully Hebrews, the fourth chapter. It talks about there is a Sabbath day's rest for you. I know Seventh-day Adventists believe and Seventh-day Baptists believe that they have to keep the seventh-day Sabbath from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. I was raised that way. But now I know that the Sabbath is Jesus himself and that I am invited to leave my old life and enter into the Sabbath of rest from my works And then I'm prepared to do the works of God. For by the grace you've been saved by means of faith, this is not of you. It is the gift of God. Not out of works, so that no one may glory in himself. For we are his workmanship, having been changed completely in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in order that we might walk in them. Pardon me. Let's go to the book of James. I want to read this for you in the second chapter of the book of James. I'll begin with verse 14. This is James, the second chapter, verse 14. And while you're looking it up, Martin Luther called this the straw book, and he thought it should be taken out of the Bible. But of course, if you take James out of the Bible, you're going to have to take Jude out of the Bible also. And frankly, you're going to have to take Romans, the sixth chapter, out of the Bible as well. 
We'll go there in just a moment. James, the second chapter, verse 14. What is the benefit, my brethren, if everyone may claim to have faith and may not have works? Can I say plainly what I think he's saying? What is the benefit, my brother, and if anyone may claim to be saved by faith, but may not have works? That's the description of the American church. Claiming faith. I'm saved by faith. I'm saved by grace. It's a, it's a blanket that covers me, and I'm saved. I've had people become irate because I suggested that they might not be saved because their life did not demonstrate that they had been completely changed. They were not new creatures in Christ. They were the same old, same old, bitter, angry, hostile, ambitious, prideful. The faith is not able to save him, is it? That's what James is saying. What is the benefit, my brother, and if anyone may claim to have faith but may not have works, the faith is not able to save him, is it? So all of the professions of faith, I am saved by faith alone. That profession will take you to hell. Because if you make that profession that I am saved by faith alone, if you make that profession and have not been supernaturally transformed into a new creature in Christ, you're still dominated by the flesh, by the mind. You're still dominated by the lust of your heart. Some of you have said to me, Pastor, I know I'm saved, but I'm not able to overcome this sin. God is going to simply have to cover it. He understands. No, brother, he does not understand. He knows that you are refusing the supernatural work of God because you want to hang on to your life and not surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You're pretending. You're make-believing that you're saved to comfort your heart in the midst of your wickedness. It doesn't work. You're lost. If you are still dominated by the flesh, if you are still dominated by your mind and your ambition, if you are still dominated by... You are lost. You are hell-bound. You are not saved. I mean, if I'm saved, what do I mean when I say that? The angel said that, that the Messiah would save his people from their sins. Am I saved from my sins? If I'm saved from them, if I am rescued from them, I don't still walk in them. So if I still walk in my sin, I'm not saved. Now, what's so difficult is that I was taught as a child by my father, who was a godly man, but who did not understand the gospel. He would say to me, Raymond, you have to try harder. Well, I did the try hard for many years, and it never worked. Because no one ever told me, growing up or college or seminary, no one ever told me that Jesus would come and supernaturally transform me and make me into a new creature that I would be metamorphosed, I would be transformed, that I would be new. No one ever told me that. I wish I'd heard that much earlier. Are you a new creature in Christ today? 
or you're still hanging in the middle. Believing the lie that you're saved and works have no part. Well, let's be clear. The works are not works of the flesh. Works are works of the Holy Spirit. They are what God moves in us and empowers in us to do for his kingdom. They're not ours. Remember, I shared with you Ephesians. They are the works of God. Verse 15 in James, the second chapter, then if a brother or a sister may be naked and may be lacking daily food, and anyone from among you may say to them, you depart in peace, warm yourselves and be fed. But if you may not give to them the necessities of the body, what is the benefit? Your words, he's saying, are just empty words. They don't have any meaning. I can't tell you how many people who claim to be Christian I've spoken with, and their words have no meaning. Oh, they've gone to some classes on how to improve their communication skills. They've gone to some classes on how to overcome some addictions. They've gone to a a step program for alcohol or sexual lust. or But they've never been transformed into a new creature. They've just gussied up the old body. They've gussied up the old man. They've made him look better. But he's still wicked. So many that I speak with speak the words of the Christian faith with great eloquence and claim that they are saved by faith and faith alone. Their words are empty. Their life is devoid of the Holy Spirit. They're lost. Verse 17, and so the faith if it may not have works, it is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. You show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by means of my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble from fear. But are you willing to know, O foolish man, that the faith apart from works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by means of works, having offered up Isaac his son upon the altar? You see that the faith was working together with his works, and that by means of works, faith was completed. And the scripture was fulfilled, the one saying, And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So then you must see that a man is made righteous by means of works and not by means of faith alone. Now that takes us just quickly to this passage of Scripture in Genesis. Let me, let me pull my Bible out. This is the NIV, Genesis, the 22nd chapter. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering, instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord. Now, the word angel simply means the messenger or the message 
of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. And he said, and now we know by the word that's being spoken that we're dealing here with with Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. He said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So don't tell me that Abraham simply believed God and it was accounted to him or credited to him as righteousness. It was accounted to him as righteousness, but it wasn't simply because of faith. It was because he not only believed God, he obeyed God. God gave him the strength and the power to do what God wanted him to do. Now, all the promises in Abraham's life, none of them would have been fulfilled had he not been willing to offer his son Isaac on the altar of God. And then God said, pull your hand, don't touch your son, because Jesus himself was going to come and be that atoning sacrifice. Now, that should be a great encouragement to you. Jesus himself is the sacrifice. And by the means of that sacrifice, he grants to us faith. But faith is always based on a rhema word of God. Faith never stands by itself. And that rhema word of God is that you must be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That your past sins can be forgiven and wiped away. That you can be transformed and changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. You can be a new person in Christ, no longer dominated by the flesh, or by your mind, by the devil, by darkness. You can be changed into the likeness of Jesus. Now, please, do you understand? It is, it is only when we are made righteous that we can walk with Jesus Christ. Romans, the sixth chapter. Let me read this for you. What shall we say then? This is Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? And the question is, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, do we need a bigger and thicker blanket to cover us so that our sins don't pop out and embarrass us? He says, by no means, absolutely no. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, this is what I've been trying to bring to you these last days the absolute understanding in your heart that you cannot be in the flesh, in the world, friends with the world, walking in darkness, and claim to be saved. There is a requirement that you die. 
And many of you have accepted Jesus, but you've never died. You're still living and kicking and breathing. You're still doing what you desire to do. You're making the judgment calls on what you think is best for you in your life. It is not Jesus who is doing this because you have never been transformed into his likeness. You have simply worked on improving the old man of flesh. You've gone to church. You've had a sentimental attachment to Jesus. You like the fellowship. You like the preacher. He he inspires you. He tells you stories, and he makes you cry, and he makes you laugh, and you get coffee and donuts after the service. You have concerts, and you have plays, and you have all this wonderful Broadway entertainment going on in church. You have a, a music, a choir, and band, and orchestra, and you have everything rock and roll in your church. but you know in your inner heart you're still a sinner and you're unwilling to examine the question have you died? You cannot be born again until you have died to your sin. I don't know how to even talk about this. This is why I've been saying there is a deep inner grieving of the heart that must be done. One of the members of the National Prayer Chapel talking about this yesterday with me shared with me that Several close relatives have died of leukemia at a very young age. And she began to deal with the reality that perhaps she too would die at a young age. That perhaps this leukemia runs in her family. She had to begin to grieve over the fact that she might die. What the Lord was getting at was a deeper place of dying in her heart. Was she willing to give up her life? And she called she called herself a steward of her life. And I pointed out to her that a that a steward was like Joseph in Potiphar's household. Potiphar left all the basic decisions of the household to Joseph because he was such a wonderful manager. But nowhere in the New Testament does the Apostle Paul tell us that we are stewards of our lives. He doesn't use that word. He uses another word, doulos. And a doulos slave is one who is at the lowest level of slavery, with no right to family or money or property, can be sold at any point. The life totally belongs to the master. They are property. And once when I was dealing with this, agonizing before God, he said to me, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. In other words, I am a purchased, do-loss slave. I have no rights to property or things or stuff. Or I'm not a steward of my life. I'm not a steward of my money. Everything I have belongs to Jesus Christ. I have been changed and transformed into a do-loss slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I rejoice that I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who dwells in me. And it is such a place of joyous peace Because I rest, I've entered the Sabbath day's rest with Jesus. He goes on. The Apostle Paul writes, We died to sin. How can we live in it 
any longer. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In other words, when we made that covenant to follow Jesus, it was his intention that we should be brought fully into his cross. That we die. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That new life that I've shared with you is a new life in which we no longer walk in sin. We no longer walk in pride and arrogance. There's not anything uglier than a person who claims to be a pastor or a teacher or a minister or an evangelist who is filled with pride. There's nothing uglier than a a person who says, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, whose heart is filled with ambition, whose spirit is contentious and quarrelsome. There's nothing uglier than a so-called Christian man who is filled with judgments and criticisms of his brothers and sisters, who makes war, not peace. This is the ugliest thing in all of God's creation. It's, it's a false thing. It's a, it's a deception. We must come to terms with our need to die if we're going to be in Christ Jesus. And the longing of my heart is to be totally, forever, completely hidden in Jesus Christ. So that's where I walk, in Jesus. That's where I'm calling you to walk. But I know that everything in our culture and everything in the modern church stands in direct opposition to what I'm teaching you today. Paul says, In Romans, the sixth chapter. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we certainly also will be united with him in his resurrection. Do you understand? If the hatred of your natural heart for God, if the enmity of your heart for God is not honestly dealt with, If you are friends with the world and the entertainment of the world and the lust of the flesh, if you are a part of the way of darkness, then you cannot be united with Jesus Christ. There is only one way to be united with him that will save you. You can be united with him intellectually, emotionally, But faith without works is dead. It is the work of God in our hearts and in our lives to make us truly righteous now. So if you have died with Christ, if you've been crucified with Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. See, we are so committed in America to self-improvement. Oh, I'm working on my patience. I'm, I'm working on not cussing. I'm working on not, not walking in sexual immorality. I'm trying as hard as I can. But pastor, what if I, what if I fail? The promise of Scripture is that if we sin against God after we have died and 
been found in Christ, we have an advocate with the Father, and he will forgive us and he will purify us from all uncleanliness. He will not leave us in the midst of our sin. He will not desert us. He will not judge us and condemn us. But instead, as I spoke earlier, there is a resurgent presence of the Holy Spirit that rises up in our hearts and says, get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. Life is only found in Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can satisfy the desire of our heart. But he cannot and will not satisfy the desire of our heart if our heart is filled with pride and anger and judgments and self-defense. That's not of the Spirit of God. That's of the Spirit of darkness. Do you understand? He says, anyone who has died, this is verse 7, Romans 6, verse 7, anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Past tense, has been freed from sin. And so my question, please, have you been freed from your sin? If you answer that no, and it's impossible for me to be freed from my sin, it's because you have refused to be crucified with Christ Jesus. And you have held on to this low religious life of the modern church. This work is all of Jesus. It is all of grace. Let me turn. See if I can find this for you quickly. I want to read a passage of Scripture for you. It's found in the book of Titus. Listen to this. Titus, the first chapter, verse 16. Well, let's go back. Verse 12, even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they may be of sound faith and will pay attention and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to their religion or to the commands of those who reject the truth, the truth that they can be transformed and changed and leave their sin. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciousness, their conscience, are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. That describes most Christians in America today. And this is why we're in such trouble in our nation. This is why the nation has lost its moral standing and mooring. It's why we're losing our freedoms. Because we have jettisoned the true gospel of Jesus Christ that calls a man to repent and be changed and become new. Then in verse 11, chapter 2 of Titus, verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Then verse 15, These are the things that you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. And so I come, and I encourage you, and I rebuke you with authority, because I am to teach according to Scripture that you are no longer to live ungodly, worldly, worldly lives. You're to be self-controlled in Jesus. You're to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. And then verse 15. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Now it tells us how he saved us. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, that is, by being born again. By the washing of rebirth, all the past sins forgiven, all wiped away, and through renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that having been Justified by faith. And the word justified is dikasune. It means to be made righteous. Do you see? Have you been made righteous? Or are you still a sinner claiming that you are saved? Sinners can be saved only by being crucified with Christ and entering into the rest of Jesus. Now, we have only two minutes left in the broadcast. I wanted to open the phones, but we ran out of time. I'll do that tomorrow. My brother, my sister, I want to pray. Jesus, I've spoken honestly the word that you've put on my heart. I pray now that each person listening will have rise up in their spirit a great desire to know you, Jesus, and to be transformed and to be washed, that all self-righteousness would be laid aside, all attempts at righteousness would be laid aside, that we would be supernaturally transformed and changed as we are crucified with you, Jesus, for that is what you've promised. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Now, again, we're approaching the end of October, and I need your help. If God has moved in your heart today, would you send your tithe or your offering to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're also welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you, my brother, my sister. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory.